Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with Dr. Disneyland, Walt Disney historian and author Jeffrey Barnes. He teaches the world's only accredited college course on the history of Disneyland because he sees that the park not only is an escape, but is an example, an example of how to make your own dreams come true. Jeff has written two best-selling Disney books, survived two brain tumors, and believes that you should go all in on your goals, dreams, and success. The first time Jeff Barnes visited Disneyland, he hated it. The experience just wasn't for him and he couldn't imagine coming back to a ride or having an ice cream cone on main street all of that has changed enjoy this story good morning how are you i'm wonderful how are you today i'm doing great so you are the expert on disney huh uh one of the experts but yes okay so um and i got an interesting tidbit i'm in kansas city Okay. And it was one of, it was the original, like, okay, so Walt Disney was from Marceline, which is north of here. Yep. And my, my, one of my best friends of all time, his, uh, my son's godfather grew up there and Mm -hmm. like has a, has a big history. But anyway, when Walt went to art school at the Kansas City Art Institute, there was a block where he had his first studio and it's kind of dilapidated. And I'm hoping that Kansas City turns out into something. So I was, I spoke in Kansas City a year and a half ago. I actually spoke at the hometown museum in Marceline, but I also spoke in Kansas City and a car had just run into the building where Laffergram Studios was upstairs. Okay. And I, and I, and I managed to go in and get a brick from Laffergram and I have that here in my home. Wow. And it, it's interesting because Disney this year, is all in on the 100th anniversary of the company, but it's also the 100th anniversary of Laffergram going bankrupt. And Walt, as a result of the bankruptcy, deciding to leave Kansas City, boarding a train, coming to California, and he left Kansas City from Union Station with $40, a single suitcase, and a one-way ticket. Wow. That's wild. I had no idea. There's so yeah. much history that goes into all of that. So, oh, there is. So, yeah. if you go down to Union Station, they actually have um, a display that talks about that. Okay, I need to look around then more. I mean, I I go in there quite a bit, so I need to take a look. Where are you located? I'm in Riverside, California, about 30 miles from Disneyland. Okay, all right, excellent, excellent. Have you been there your whole life? No. Um, <laughs> I, born in Reno, Nevada. Um, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved to Virginia, North Carolina, Panhandle of Florida, went to college in southern Mississippi, grad school, started my career in northern California, then southern Arizona, Hawaii, now southern California. I've moved around a lot. Yeah, it sounds like it. All right, so you got a nomadic life. So before we get kind of lost in all of the timelines here, I want to begin with COVID. And the last three years was quite a thing. How did you survive it? And how has it changed the way that you look at life and do things now? So, um, I mean, COVID was a challenge for everybody, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, um, I, was, I was still in my higher education career at the time. And um, I, I was diagnosed and went through a second brain surgery during summer of 2020 
So, you know, everybody had a sucky 2020 and then I doubled down on it because I had a brain surgery in, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, I had this great side gig of, you know, speaking and I didn't do any speaking that, you know, cause you know, nobody was doing events now at the same time. Um, it was a great summer to spend two months recovering from brain surgery. I didn't really miss any gigs because there weren't any gigs to miss. Yeah. Um, but at the, the end result of all of that was when I went back to work, I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, I eventually left my 22-year career in higher ed, and now I write and speak full-time. So let's kind of get a little bit more into exactly what you do now. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day, which I'm sure they would be really, really happy about. <laughs> and th- one of the kids asks you, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? Um, I go to Disneyland. I go to Walt Disney World. And I write and speak about how, um, you know, theme parks can motivate and inspire you to follow your dreams and live your best life. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to take a slight deviation here. My son, who's 18, he's on the autism spectrum. His favorite place in the world is Worlds of Fun here in Kansas City. And he works there. He, he's, he's gone there consistently. I mean, the first time we went, we were on a roller coaster that just scared him so bad. I don't think, I didn't think he was ever going to get on a roller coaster again. <laughs> he had the glasses and they flew off. And, you know, and I hadn't been to a roller coaster in a long, long time or a, or a theme park. So, um, yeah, I, I just forgot how powerful they can be. But anyways, at this point right now, based on his sensory issues and just who he is, I'll sit behind him on a roller coaster. And the whole world's like moving and everything's loud and all this, but he's totally calm. Like it's like it just does the reverse for him. But mm-hmm. it's funny you say that because his dream is to run the big Mamba uh, roller coaster there. He just absolutely loves it, loves everybody, loves the whole thing. It is his therapy place. So yeah. It, yeah. it's crazy. It's great. Yeah. The, the, the Imagineers at Disney, um, create what they call the architecture of reassurance. And they build in this idea that, um, you know, the world is a safe place. The world is an okay place. And, um, you know, every, everything's going to be okay. You know, that, that the world can write itself. Yeah. So what did you want to be when you were in the third grade? Oh, that is a fantastic, um, question. A writer, um, which I've managed to fulfill, um, and a, um, a, a disc jockey, which I guess the closest I get to that is podcast interviews. <laughs> there you go. So you're living the dream. So I am. When, when did this first moment of falling in love with both Disney and theme parks begin for you? So falling in love with, I went to Walt Disney World when I was 10 and I immediately knew that if there was any sort of heaven on this side of breathing, that had to be it. But my first trip to Disneyland, I was 25 and, and I, I actually hated that first experience. Um, I, I was underwhelmed based on my experiences as a kid in Florida. Um, and you know, we, we, we arrived too late. I wanted to get on star tours 
Um, that was the newest, latest, greatest attraction. The line was more than three hours long. By the time we were done with that, you know, now it's the afternoon. It's too hot. It's too crowded. Um, just a, just a miserable experience. Uh, but I, I, I stayed in California. Um, and, you know, as I talked to people, I mean, they just freaking loved the place, like, like way deeper than anybody in Florida because it's a locals park here. And I'm like, okay, well, well, why does everyone else love it? And, you know, I'd rather go to the dentist than go back to Disneyland. Um, and so that got me curious. And I started reading up on Walt and discovered not born successful. None of us are right. Difficult relationship with his father, which I could identify with. Um, more failures than successes, starting with the bankruptcy in Kansas City. And, um, you know, lost his first cartoon character, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. No one believed in Snow White. I mean, even at 53, no one believed in his dream for Disneyland to include his own wife and his own brother. And I've always um, sort of rooted for the underdog and discovered Walt, despite these successes, was this um, proverbial underdog. And I fell in love with that story and came to realize he built the part for the purpose of telling stories that if you actually pay attention to what's going on, there's stories that are challenging us to then go out and live our own great story. And I just, I just, I fell in love with it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so would you say that your hero in life is Walt or who would be your hero? Yeah. I mean, Walt. yeah, Walt, Walt's my hero. Um, because he gave us um, a place that um, we can escape to. But I think he also gave us a place that serves as an example for, again, living a better story um, and, you know, leveling up our own life personally, professionally. Um, you know, everything can be better if we follow the example of, you know, how Walt led, what Walt created, um, recognizing um, the importance of story and and not this, you know, happily ever after ending that I think most of us seek, but rather um, every great story requires conflict. And so if you're bored with your life, if you're bored with your story, it's because you're not doing hard things and embracing conflict. So. I've always heard that did, did did Walt get frozen? Is that what what's the story now? Is, is that true? No, that's that's absolutely not true. In fact, um, you know that was a very painful rumor for his family. Yeah, Walt Walt was a visionary um, and very much a futurist, which is sort of where that rumor comes from. And there was never a public um, memorial or funeral when when he died. He um, he was diagnosed with lung cancer in November of 1966 and given six months to two years to live and lasts in only five weeks. And um, so his, his death was sort of a surprise and somewhat sudden. And again, there, um, you know, there, there wasn't ever a, a public memorial or a public funeral and, and he was cremated. So, um, you know, the, the rumors around that, um, are, are completely untrue and completely unsubstantiated. 
but they're they're rooted in this um you know idea around you know Walt you know with Tomorrowland and Epcot and you know his visions around you know the the future but he he was absolutely cremated so if you could meet Walt say he comes back and you could talk to him what would you ask him i would want to know um what what does he think about the fact that he had an idea for creating this place where parents and children could have fun together, i.e. Disneyland. He sets out to do it and has to overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. No one believes in it, to include his own wife and his own brother. It's going to be shuttered, bankrupt, and forgotten six months or less. And today, the sun never sets on a Disney park anywhere in the world. I mean, in Orlando, it's the nation's largest single-site employer and the world's most popular vacation destination. When they had to shut down in um, September due to Hurricane Ian, the company lost $80 million a day. And I and I would just say, what do you think of that, Walt? And, and, and again, I, I know it's not exactly what Walt would have wanted. I know they're not doing things exactly the way Walt would have done them. But man, I mean, he's just, he, he would just have to be really stinking proud that, um, it's become what it's become. And he went from, you know, bankrupt a hundred years ago to the world's largest entertainment company today. You know, there's a lot of people, especially the higher up you go to the food chain, you know, there's people that demonize and have criticisms and you hear all these things about Disney. How do you counter that? How do you counter people? that have these negative notions and, 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 and make sure that they understand that they preserve this idea that you have of this company that's done so much that really brings more joy than anything else to people. Well, um, I mean, first of all, some of the, you know, criticism at this point, um, maybe not necessarily against Walt per se, but against the company um, is, is valid. Um, And so you have to sort of separate you know, Disney the man, i.e. Walt, and Disney the brand, which is a company today that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, answers to a bottom line and, and stockholders. And they're not perfect and they don't always do the right thing and, and, and make the right decision. But the truth of the matter is Walt wasn't perfect either and didn't always do the right thing and make the, the right decision either. Um, but, but then secondly, um, you know, I taught a, a college course on the history of Disneyland, which sounds a little bit absurd. But if you want to know what's going on in the country, take a look at what's going on in the Disney parks from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. Um, watch the opening day broadcast from July 17th, 1955, which um, was shown on ABC television and viewed by some 90 million Americans that day was the largest live broadcast to date. And as people walk in, um, everybody's white. Everybody has two and a half kids. Everybody's dressed, having just come from church. Um, it might not have been who America was in 1955, but it's who America thought we were or who America wanted to portray that we were because we're six months away from Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. There's no diversity. There's no inclusion. 
except for Sammy Davis Jr., who is a celebrity, or Aunt Jemima, who's cast as a stereotypical cast member. That's it. And so today, um, you know, as Disney gets um, caught up in a lot of the agenda around wokeness and, you know, maybe being too inclusive or too diverse, well, that's a lot of the narrative in our country. That That's a lot of the agenda in our country. So, again, um, if, if you want to know what's happening in the United States, take a look at what's happening in the parks, and the narrative is a mirror and a reflection. So... As Dr. Disney, how often, how much do you learn about this empire on a regular basis? You would think there perhaps might be a wall, but is it kind of like space? It just keeps expanding and there's no stop? I, um, I, I'm constantly reading, constantly um, learning, and there is almost always something new to discover. It's um, it's it's unbelievable to me, um, how much is out there, because, um, you know the the parks are so massive, they're filled with so much detail, and then you 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 add in the movies, you add in the 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 cartoons. I mean, it's it's just it's endless, and um, you know, and 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 people, uh, you know, you, you know, you talk to families. Who, who grew up going to the parks and they have their own stories and they have their own memories and they have their own traditions and their own connections. And, um, you know, it, it, it really is just sort of a rite of passage for a lot of people, you know, to, to go to a Disney park or, you know, to take their kids or to take their grandkids. So, um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning new facts, new trivia, you know, new information. Um, so, so for, like, I, I'll, I'll throw this out there, and I've known this for a long time. Um, you've eaten a bag of Doritos, right? Yeah. Invented at Disneyland. Wow. Yeah. I mean, most people are shocked by that. Probably wow. my favorite fun fact. <laughs> I love, I love fun facts. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you been to each of the respective parks in your life up to this point? I've been to Disneyland. Gosh, I mean, I was there last night. <laughs> um, I've been to Disneyland well over 900 times. Wow. Um, and I, I'm, I've been to Walt Disney World despite living here on the West Coast now for, gosh, um, since, since the 1980s, um, probably close to a hundred times now. Wow. In fact, I'm flying to. Walt Disney World on Wednesday. Wow. So what is the ultimate motivator for you? Every day you get up, you're, you know, th this is a focal point of your life. What is the chief motivator to, to live this life that you have loving Disney? So that, that's a great question. Um, th this is what motivates me. And to some degree, this is what haunts me. Um, Walt's idea for creating the dream of building Disneyland came when he took his two young daughters, Diane and Sharon out on what he called daddy's day on a Saturday afternoon to a merry-go-round in, in Griffith park here in Los Angeles. And they were on the merry-go-round. He was sitting on a park bench and he had an idea, a 
crazy thought, he began to dream of a place where parents and children could have fun together. Well, on average, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. It's, it's why we're completely overwhelmed. It's why we're exhausted um, at the end of, of, of every day. And I am absolutely convinced that when it comes to our own life, when it comes to our own organizations, when it comes to our teams, we, we have ideas and thoughts and dreams. It might not change the world the way Waltz did, but it could at least change our world. The challenge is, and, and Walt said it, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Walt got up off of that park bench, and despite all of the doubters and all of the naysayers and all of the resistance, took action and made that dream come true. And I'm haunted by this idea that there are people sitting on their proverbial park benches who can make a huge difference in their world, if not all of our worlds. They just need that motivation, that inspiration, that that encouragement to get up and take action. So in your life, what are you the proudest of that you've done? That's a great question, too. Um, <laughs> so when, when I first taught my History of Disneyland class, which... You know, I, I, Mickey Mouse idea, right? But I pitched it to the university. They signed off on it, worked on it for a year, gave the first lecture. Students loved it because, again, you know, our ideas matter, and it's not just to us. You know, people love Disneyland. Walt's been gone for more than 55 years, and yet people are there every day, right? So the things that you want to do – they have an impact on, you know, others beyond yourself. The very next day, I was diagnosed with the first of what would be two life-threatening brain tumors. And they wanted to operate immediately. Um, and that would result in a two-month recovery process, which meant the course would be canceled. And, you know, who knows what happens after that point. And I refused to have the surgery so that I could continue to teach the class because the class wasn't really about the amusement park. The class was really about if you want to succeed, if if you want to accomplish something, then you have got to face adversity, confront conflict and overcome obstacles. And this was an opportunity to not just teach that lesson, but live that lesson. And I'm proud that I was willing to do that. And that's what resulted in getting through the first semester of the class. And then on the other side of that, writing the first of two best-selling books. And ultimately, um, you know, it gave me the career that I, that I have today. And I hear from people all over the country, all over the world, thanking me for the, for the content because it's helped them in their own lives and their own careers. You're covering probably one of the biggest success stories, I would think, that America has brought the world, which is Disney. And we obviously know what the legacy of that is. That's what you do. But what do you hope your legacy is? That um, somebody who is sitting on a great idea takes action and, again, changes their world or maybe even our world. Or better yet, I got an email um, a couple of weeks ago because I, I write a blog every single Wednesday called 
Wednesdays with Walt. And I did a piece on after Walt lost Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Walt once said we can never forget it all started with a mouse, but it didn't. started with a rabbit, and Walt lost the rabbit in a um, contract dispute with Universal. And he's facing bankruptcy for a second time. But rather than giving up on the train ride home from New York where the whole meeting took place, he pulls out a pad of paper, sketches out the first Mickey Mouse story, But before he ever boarded the train home, he sends a telegram to his brother Roy and says, don't worry, everything okay. And I did a whole piece on, you know, whenever you're in a crisis or, you know, headed into a crisis or coming out of a crisis, rather than, um, you know, worrying and fretting and obsessing and ruminating on it, what if you just said to yourself every single morning, don't worry, everything okay. And I heard from a particular reader who said, you know, my life partner of 27 years just left me. And I've spent the last two weeks telling myself, don't worry, everything okay. And I'm in a much better mental space for the last two weeks than I was, um, you know, before reading this article. And those kinds of things just mean the world to me. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone wants to get your books, learn more about you, anything related to your world, your blog, anything, what do they do? So you can find me at the wisdomofwalt.com and you can sign up for um, Wednesdays with Walt, 100% free, and you'll get some inspiration, motivation every single Wednesday. And the books are available on Amazon. Again, Wisdom of Walt, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, which is about Walt Disney World, Life Lessons from the Most Magical Place on Earth. Um, and again, you can go to my website, thewisdomofwalt.com. Send me an email, signed up for the blog, and um, would be happy to uh, answer any questions from anyone. So for, for all the times that you go to the park, you have to be a celebrity. They have to be rolling out the carpet for you. Do they know you well? How does that work? <laughs> well, I, I, I do, um, you know, meet up with people there every now and then, you know, someone will say, Hey, you know, I heard you at a keynote or, um, you know, I got your book or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I go just as a guest. I go just as a fan. Nice. Very nice. This is fascinating. Jeffrey, thank you for opening up your story. Best of luck with everything. And hopefully they can turn that area in Kansas City into something. I've just been astonished all these years that it has been kind of a mini park kind of a thing with, especially with the adventurous spirit that Kansas City, especially lately, has had. We're getting a World Cup. You know, we just had the NFL draft. There's a lot of things that we're entering a big stage for. And I think this Walt Disney um experience locally would be kind of the big bang nexus of everything starting yeah you've got some great um pieces in kansas city i've had uh, the privilege of speaking there um two or three times um and yeah um and, and at one point walt talked about putting um an entertainment amusement something in marceline and he he died before that ever came to fruition Wow. But yeah, folks should come to Kansas City, make the two and a half hour drive to Marceline. Um, you know, a, a great destination for Disney fans. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. This has been great, man. Thank you for opening up. I appreciate it and best of luck with everything. 
Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Thank you.